Hi, everybody. It's good to see you. Uh, welcome back to those of you who are coming back for the first time, maybe ever, uh, maybe since COVID started. Hello to those of you who are tuning in online. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Melissa. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, if we really haven't met before, come and say hello to me after the service. I'd love to meet you. Today, we're starting a brand new sermon series, Journey to the Cross. As I began prepping for this Sunday and the rest of the Sundays leading up to Easter, I began noticing crosses everywhere. The symbol of the cross is found everywhere. You see it all sorts of different places. And so before I go on, I want you to think about where's one of the places that you've seen the symbol of a cross in the last week or the last month? No, the cross on our stage doesn't count. Uh, Where have you seen a cross recently? Maybe something like this came to mind. Uh, A church. Churches often have crosses on the building in some way. Maybe jewelry came to mind, like this necklace worn by Madonna. Or maybe fashion came to mind. Crosses are shown here on a pair of jeans. Or maybe a tattoo. Maybe some of you have a tattoo of a cross. Crosses are also part of decor. We used to have a Celtic cross similar to that in our garden. Um, Maybe you have a cross hanging up somewhere in your house. We do. Uh, I have crosses hanging up in my office right above my desk. Uh, Crosses also show up in other places as well, like this one uh, on the set of a recent Justin Bieber concert. Crosses show up everywhere. I wonder, because we see crosses everywhere, when we see one out there somewhere in the world, if we think about what the cross was originally there for, what the purpose of the cross was. Now, a cross was originally two pieces of wood hammered hammered together, nailed together, a Roman execution device, where the worst criminals in society would be nailed and left to die. So, when we decorate our homes and our bodies and our clothing with crosses, we're decorating it with a Roman execution device. It's like decorating our homes and our bodies with an electric chair or a needle for lethal injection. But we don't do that, so why the cross? Now, of course, most of us would know if pushed. The reason why the symbol of the cross is found everywhere is because of who died on that cross. Maybe when I brought up the cross or asked you to picture a cross in your head, something like this came to mind, like this famous 17th century painting by Velazquez. Or maybe another one came to mind, like this 1800s painting by Paul Gauguin, which I really love. Paul Gauguin wants to show Jesus in his contemporary setting in the French countryside. Or maybe something like this came to mind, especially if, like me, you grew up in the Catholic Church, a crucifix hanging in the front of every Catholic church around. When we look at the crucifix, suddenly the cross takes on new meaning. As I was preparing for this sermon series, I read The Day the Revolution Began by N.T. Wright, and he opens by telling this story about, or that came to him by the Cardinal Archbishop of Paris. The Cardinal Archbishop of Paris tells a story about three little boys who wanted to play a trick on their local parish priest. And so they begin thinking up 
all of the wildest and outlandish sins that they could think of, and their plan was to go in into the confessional booth and confess them to the priest. Now, if you didn't grow up in a Catholic church, the confessional booth is this booth, and it's separated in half by a thin, thin separator with mesh or a screen at head level. You sit on one side and you confess your sins and the priest sits on the other side and listens on behalf of God. And then the priest gives you some sort of penance, usually a prayer of some sort, uh, meant to bring you back into right relationship with God. And so those little boys, one by one, went into the confessional booth, quote unquote, confessing the wildest things they could think of. The first boy couldn't make it through. He ran out of the booth and ran out of the church. And the second boy couldn't make it through. He ran out of the booth and ran out of the church. But a third boy went in and he made it to the end of his confession. And the wise priest on the other side said, for your penance, I want you to walk up to the front of the church before the crucifix. And I want you to look at Jesus on the cross. And I want you to say three times, you did all that for me, but I don't care that much. And so he did it. He went up and he said one time, looking at Jesus on the cross, you did all that for me, and I don't care that much. And then a second time, you did all that for me, and I don't... And he couldn't go on. He couldn't go on because he realized what he was saying and what it meant. The Cardinal Archbishop of Paris knew this story because he was that little boy. As he stared at Jesus on the cross, something profound happened within him. His life was changed. That is the power of the cross. As Jay mentioned, today is the first Sunday of Lent. Lent being this Christian season for 40 days where we journey towards the cross. We fix our eyes on Jesus. And the purpose of Lent is to not just gaze on the cross for no reason at all. It's so that we can be transformed. So one of the ways that we're going to fix our eyes on the cross this year is through the sermon series, Journey to the Cross. We're going to journey through Jesus' last week of life. We're going to start with his journey into Jerusalem, Jerusalem being the center of power. Jesus journeyed into the center of power knowing that those who had the most power were going to condemn him to die. To the world, Jesus' journey into the center of the power was a fool's errand. It was going to lead to his defeat. For many, the cross is a symbol of that defeat. It's a symbol that Jesus didn't make it to his destination. But what the world doesn't see is that the power is not in the kingdoms of the world. The power is in the cross. The cross and the resurrection three days later was Jesus' destination all along. For those who follow Jesus, the cross doesn't represent defeat. The cross represents the king's great love for his people and the way that he had victory over sin and death and evil in the world. And so today, we begin with Jesus entering into Jerusalem. Now, traditionally, this story is told on Palm Sunday, the week before Easter, but because we're stretching out that last week over the coming weeks, we're going to start with that story today. So let's begin Jesus' journey to the cross with Matthew 21. Matthew 21, verses 1 to 11. 
As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with a colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, King of heaven, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Would you come by the power of your spirit, open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to know what it is that you have for us today, your church. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, so we got Jesus, the king, riding into town, heading to sort of a coronation, but an upside-down coronation. By the end of the week, Jesus is going to be crowned with a crown of thorns, and he's going to be nailed to a Roman cross, and above his head will be his title, Jesus the Nazarene, King of the Jews. But his arrival is very, very different from what we would expect of a king. Think about when a celebrity shows up to an awards show. They show up in a limousine. The limo is open for them. They step out on a red carpet. And lining the red carpet is the paparazzi and the fans cheering them on. Or think about what happens with a royal coronation when a king or a queen gets their crown. This is Queen Elizabeth's coronation. Look at her ride, that golden chariot pulled by horses. Look at the crowds held back by the guards. And look at her red carpet entrance. Well, I should say blue carpet entrance, but isn't that majestic and royal and regal? Jesus, in our story today, is coming in as king. And he has the same elements, but it's a little bit different. Instead of his ride being a limo or a horse-drawn carriage, Jesus comes in on a donkey. And he does have a red carpet, sort of, but it's cloaks and palm branches. But the fans are there, and the fans are shouting something, but I wonder if they really knew the full depth of what they were saying. Today, we're going to look at Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, and specifically, the ride and the red carpet. Because the ride and the red carpet show us something about who Jesus is, and point to the cross that is coming one week later. Let's start with a ride. Our cars say something about us, whether we want them to or not. 
If you were to see me driving here in my car this morning, it'd probably tell you that I don't care all that much about cars. <laughs> it would also probably tell you that I'm only interested in getting from point A to point B. It might tell you that I have kids since it's kind of a minivan with sliding doors. Uh, some people choose their cars as a status symbol. We moved here from a city full of luxury cars, so much so that they've become the norm. So you can imagine that us in our beat-up old van said something about who we were in comparison to the people around us. Uh, some people choose their car for function, which is the smart thing to do. Uh, choosing four-wheel drive or all-wheel drive so you can get out in the weather. Uh, we should have a car with four-wheel drive or all-wheel drive given the kind of winter we've had here. Some people choose a car based on practicality. So maybe it's the price point as the cost of gas is going up so crazily. Probably people are choosing cars that are really good on gas or really good in their pocketbook for repairs. Some people don't have a choice in their car. They just get what they can afford to get. Whether we like it or not, what car we show up in does say something about who we are, at least what we value. Jesus' ride said something about who he is and what he values. He was very specific in choosing his mode of transportation. He told his disciples exactly what to get and where to get it from. A donkey. A borrowed donkey. Why did he do this? Well, the text today says something about that. Verse 4. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This verse comes out of Zechariah 9.9. When people saw Jesus riding in on that donkey... If they had remembered Zechariah 9.9, they would have remembered that in that verse it says, the king is going to come in. They would have recognized that Jesus was the king coming in to free them from their oppression. They would have recognized what was happening there. But it still doesn't tell us why a donkey. Jesus could have chosen a horse. A donkey is not a war animal that a conquering king would have riding in to free the people from oppression. It's a lowly creature. It's slow. It's stubborn. It's the work animal of the poor. They're not really that good looking. <laughs> it wasn't that there weren't horses in Jesus' day. He could have chosen to ride a horse. And had he rode a horse, that Zechariah prophecy would have said, say to daughter Zion, see your, com your king comes to you riding on a horse. But it didn't say that. Jesus coming in, riding on a borrowed donkey, the ride of the poor working class would be like Queen Elizabeth showing up for her coronation, riding on a borrowed, beat-up old tractor. Why did Jesus choose the donkey? Well, Martin Luther wrote this about Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. He said this, look at him. He rides no stallion, which is a war animal, and he comes not with fearful pomp and power, but sits on a donkey, which is no war animal, but which is ready for burdens of work that will help human beings. Thereby he shows that he does not come to terrify people, to drive or oppress them, but to help them, to carry their burdens, 
and to take them on himself. Those who remembered that Zechariah 9-9 prophecy that day may have remembered verse 10 that came immediately after. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. The implements of war will be taken away. This isn't the conquering king who's going to come in and defeat the enemy using the tools and the tactics of the enemy. This is a king coming in, riding on a donkey to disarm everybody, to remove the reasons for war in the first place, and to extend his peace to all nations. Jesus doesn't just come in to save Jerusalem. He comes in to save the whole world. So did the crowd recognize the king coming in their midst? Well, their actions show that in that moment, they did. The red carpet is a symbol of honor and fame, like the celebrities who walk on the red carpet on their way to a movie premiere. But before the celebrities used the red carpet, it was used for royal heads of state and dignitaries to mark their path. And the red carpet has a very long history. It actually showed up for the first time in literature 400 years before Jesus was born in the ancient Greek story called Agamemnon. Now, Agamemnon is the main character, and he's this guy who is a a, a celebrated warrior. He goes in and he defeats Troy. And when he comes home, his wife is waiting for him. And she lays out these royal, rich, red tapestries for him to walk on, even though royal, rich, red tapestries were only supposed to be for the guards, or sorry, for the gods. Now, the wife does this not because she wants to honor her husband, Agamemnon, it's because she's angry at him. She's very, very angry at him because of his tactics in war. And she also knows that his fatal sin is pride. So she's hoping that she'll lay out this red carpet for him and that he'll walk on the red carpet because of his sin of pride and he'll anger the gods and that they will take him out. Agamemnon sees the red carpet and he says something about, how could I do this? The red carpet is only supposed to be for the gods, but then he gives in to his pride. And he steps on that red carpet and he walks across it and it eventually leads to his doom. Jesus got the red carpet treatment. It wasn't a literal red carpet. It was the cloaks and the palm fronds laid at his feet. And Jesus does, on his donkey, ride across that carpet. But when he does it, he is not guilty of pride like Agamemnon because Jesus is God and Jesus is the king. He and only he can rightfully enter in on that makeshift red carpet. And unlike Agamemnon, who goes to his death because of his sin of pride, Jesus is going to go to his death, but not because of his own sin. It's because of our sin. But we'll get to that in a second. Before we do, I want to point out what the fans were saying as Jesus went down on the red carpet. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Hosanna means save us. 
Save us, save us, son of David. And David refers to a famous king of Israel named King David. And everybody knew, because it was written in the prophets, that one day a descendant of David would come, the king who would liberate and save all the people. So they're saying, save us, O king, that we have been waiting for. But they want Jesus to save them on their own terms. They want Jesus to tear down the oppressive Roman government. They want him to wage war and lead them into battle. And then they want to be the ones that rule all the surrounding nations. But as the week goes on, Jesus' descending journey to the cross, little by little, everybody abandons him because it looks like he's not going to win. It looks like he is not the king that they've been waiting for. All of those people who were there that day shouting, Hosanna, 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 abandoned him. And when Jesus finally went to the cross, he died alone. What they couldn't see is that Jesus' death was the saving action that they most needed. Jesus wasn't going to conquer the enemies by taking away their weapons and just dominating the oppressors back and negotiating a ceasefire Jesus, through the cross, completely, completely disarms the evil in the world. He forgives us from our sins, and he reconciles everything back to God. I love this painting by Marc Chagall, painted in 1938. Marc Chagall, as a Jewish man, wanted to depict Jesus as a Jewish martyr in the midst of what was happening in the day, World War II. Notice in the top left corner, the armies coming in. And under that, the houses are burning. And under that, a boat full of refugees. And notice in the top right, a synagogue is burning down. And under that, that man in green is fleeing with all of his possessions on his back. But notice that Jesus, with his cross, is in the center of it all. Jesus died for those who were fleeing the war, but he also died for the sin of the oppressor. Jesus didn't just die to save his followers in Jerusalem that day. He died for the Romans who were there too. His death was for everybody throughout all of human history, whoever was and whoever will be. He died for the oppressed and the oppressor. He died for your friends and your family and your neighbors, but also your enemies. He died for the Ukrainians fighting right now for their home. He died for the average Russian who is suffering under sanctions. He died for the world leaders who are trying to figure this all out. He died for Trudeau and Biden and Zelensky. And he also died for Putin. And his death was so that we could live freely and rightly under King Jesus, now and in eternity. But we all have a choice for what we do with this. We live in this time where Jesus has already gone to the cross. He's already died to disarm the evil in the world, yet there are still wars and injustice and oppression. And the reason why is because not everybody recognizes Jesus as king. 
Not everybody is willing to come under his lordship. Not everyone is willing to live according to the values of his kingdom. And before we start to get high and mighty and point our fingers at somebody else, just like Jesus, abandoned, Jesus' disciples, his closest friends, abandoned him on the cross, we do things all the time where we aren't recognizing him as king. Things that aren't really aligned with his kingdom of goodness and love and righteousness and peace. My friends, it's not going to be like this forever. One day, everyone will see Jesus coming back again. And it's going to be a different kind of return. He's not going to be riding in on a donkey this time. He says this in Matthew 24 to his friends, just a little after our story today. He said, For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn. And the reason why they will mourn is because they will see the beauty and perfection of Jesus and realize their own sin and brokenness. They will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angel with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. And then Jesus will defeat evil from good. He will wipe it from the face of the earth. He will firmly establish his kingdom he will reveal it, and those who choose to live under Jesus the King from every nation, every tribe, every culture that has ever lived will worship and praise Jesus the King of heaven now and forever. So how do we get ready for that? Well, we choose to practice Lent. We journey with Jesus to the cross. There's something that happens when we gaze upon the cross. Remember that story about the archbishop in Paris, how he, as a little boy, looked upon the crucifix and tried to say, you did all that for me, and I don't care that much. But he couldn't say it because he realized that Jesus did all that for him, but he does care. He does care. And through the cross, he was transformed and grew up to love and serve Jesus the King with his whole life. As we journey to the cross, our eyes transfixed on Jesus, we too are somehow transformed. We realize the depth of our sin, the ways that we have given into the evil in the world, the things that have put him there, but not so that we wallow. Not so that we live in it forever. Not so that we are overcome by shame. We realize that even in our sinful state, even before we realize that Jesus went to the cross anyway. And in this way, we begin to grasp his great love for us. This is the transforming power of the cross as we are transformed in his love. Let this be our posture, this Lent. And now let's close in prayer. And after we do, we're going to respond with worshiping Hosanna, King Jesus. And so please pray with me right now. King Jesus, Hosanna, 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 save us. 
Thank you for riding into Jerusalem on a donkey over a carpet of cloaks and palms. Thank you for continuing on your journey to the cross. And thank you for taking on the cross for every single person in the whole world. Jesus, as we journey towards the cross with you this season of Lent, let our hearts refrain be, you did all that for me, thank you. Let us come to know more fully your love for us, even though we're still sinners. And let us experience the power of your cross transformed more and more and more into your likeness. Let your kingdom, King Jesus, be revealed right now in our midst. And we pray, King Jesus, come back again. We need you. We long to see you face to face. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.